Yeah, good evening everyone. Welcome to our session on the Ringgit Blues. Actually, this session was a super impromptu session. We initially wanted to schedule the session for next Friday, but something super urgent happened to the markets just yesterday. I'm sure you guys are looking at the tweets right now. Uh, Bank Negara Malaysia has decided to intervene in the foreign currency market. And this is, that's why we decided to conduct tonight's session. We have two familiar speakers here with us tonight. Uh, obviously, the second speaker is not here yet. Uh, they have joined us for more than four to five sessions. I think Mrs. Sunny easily, this is the eighth or ninth session with us. So yeah, Mrs. Sunny, e economist, certified financial planner, frequent commentator of the media. You probably would have heard or seen from him if you are from Singapore, but I think majority of you guys are from Malaysia, so I assume no. He has uh, over 30 years of experience in the financial markets, which really just goes to show how old he is. Uh. <laughs> uh, Mr. Sunny, welcome back to the session. Thank you, Red. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, hopefully the introduction done you a bit of justice or injustice. Uh. You might want to <laughs> take a moment or two to talk more about yourself for those people in the audience who don't yet know you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, okay, so I, well, I always like to start off with I'm a Malaysian uh, working here in, 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 in Singapore. Um, I have been here for ever since my SPM. I came after my SPM, so I've been here for quite some time. As, as Sinji has alluded to, I'm quite old, so I've been here roughly 30 over years. Um, uh, education, educated here, uh, started off with um, at NTU, a, bet, a bachelor in business in NTU, came out, started to work, and then did my master's in uh, applied economics in NUS. Um, on top of that, I have a few. Um, I'm, I'm also a certified financial planner, CFP, and I have a, a certificate in Islamic banking and finance from IIUM Malaysia. Um, throughout my career, mainly in research, uh, the research department, doing a lot of um, commentaries, write-ups write uh, on the financial markets. Started off with the FX market foreign currency markets, um, then moved on to be an economist uh, in the equity markets, um, and thereafter <clears throat> worked for a rating agency called Standard & Poor's, doing sovereign ratings, rated countries, including Malaysia. And now I am actually in the investment director with a financial advisory firm here in Singapore. Um, and basically, that's where I, where I am today. So glad to be here to share my thoughts on a very interesting topic that we have, um, and a lot of a chatter on Twitter with regards to this. So looking forward to it, but um, let's see how it goes. Yeah. Our other speaker, Han, he is also extremely qualified, also a certified financial planner, founder, director of Ringgit Plus. Hopefully he will step in later. Yeah. And um, we will talk about something everyone is worried about, right? That is the unstoppable depreciation of the Ringgit. Now, just a few stats over here, guys. On a year-to-date basis, our local note has declined by over 5.6% against the US dollar. Currently, it's at a seven-month low. Meanwhile, ringgit against pound sterling, we've declined by over 10 to 11%. It's even worse. Currently at a seven-year low. Sing dollar as well. Yeah, you get the idea, right? It has recently hit an all-time high against the ringgit of 3.47. I'm sure Mrs. Sunny is pretty happy because he's working in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about the Sing dollar, right? Some additional facts. It has been making all-time highs consecutively for four straight weeks, uh, which is uh, pretty scary over here. And this rapid devaluation 
has uh, undoubtedly caused considerable concern among Malaysians. But let's just begin the session by examining its effects. Uh. Yeah, Mr. Sani, how does the ringgit's decline affect citizens apart from seeing import prices go up? Well, I, because the ringgit, if if you look at it um, onshore, on that means if, if the ringgit is used within Malaysia itself, um, it is actually at what we call parity. One ringgit is one ringgit. There's no comparison to any other currency. So whatever happens to dollar ringgit, whatever happens to ringgit sing offshore doesn't matter to someone who is using ringgit in, in internally within Malaysia itself. Okay, So that's the first thing that we need to understand. It only becomes important when we start bringing in the outside world or what we call offshore. Um, and that's where we have interactions with the rest of the world, um, interaction with the US and therefore the currency that comes into play is dollar ringgit, interaction with Singapore, dollar sing, dollar baht, dollar whatever the case is. So that's where you get the so-called uh, interaction with the rest of the world. Okay. So when the currency, and the currency is driven by <clears throat> the pairs, we always call it the pair because it's never one currency, it's always two currencies put together. It's dollar and it's ringgit. It's sing and it's ringgit. Okay. Of course, the most famous of all is dollar versus ringgit, um, and the rest all are considered to be secondary in nature. Okay. It's always a question of demand and supply. Um, the demand for dollars and the demand for versus the demand for ringgit that drives up or drives down uh, dollar ringgit, and same with dollar sing and such. Okay. Um, so all of these currencies are driven higher or lower based on demand and supply. So for someone, and, to, and now just to, since I've set kind of a, some of the basic principles, for individuals in Malaysia, the impact that comes from a fluctuating currency uh, will thus depend on what, I mean, and I'm assuming you're talking about uh, individuals, what the individual consumes. So if the individual consumes a lot of for, uh, goods which have foreign components in it, whether it's food, whether it's your car, uh, or any luxury items that is being imported, then you'll find, of course, that the imported goods will be more expensive because your ringgit is weaker. Okay. But on the other hand, if you are someone who is exporting goods outside, um, then you'll find basically that um, your goods have become more competitive um, because typically speaking, you would actually denominate your goods in a foreign currency because you're selling outside of Malaysia. So for example, you're selling five dollars, five US you're you're selling something on let's say uh, for lack of knowledge, let's say Amazon for for ten 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 dollars itself. Okay. So if you used to sell this item for ten dollars, or rather you, you continue to sell this item for ten dollars, when the ringgit was trading at four point zero to the dollar, you 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 would take that ten dollars, earn it bring it back to Malaysia and then you would convert it and, and earn 40, 40 ringgit. Now, without doing anything at all, um, you basically earn uh, 46 or 47 ringgit. So without having added any value to the product itself, uh, you are earning more. And therefore, ex therefore, in a nutshell, exporters tend to do well with a depreciating currency. Importers tend to do worse off because they are, it's a higher burden or a higher cost to them. Okay, so for the individual, it's the same, meaning say whether you are consuming a lot 
uh, from overseas or not. And of course, some of these things like fertilizers and such, with which um, if there's not enough in Malaysia, you need to import, then it feeds into what we call the price or, or inflation because it makes everything more expensive. Yeah, so, so that's really how fluctuating currencies affect uh, individuals. So if you have someone, let's say, for example, in Malaysia, let's say Sinji only consumes local, Okay, nothing that he consumes, whether it's food, uh, goods or services, has a foreign component to it. So in theory, in theory, um, uh, whatever happens to the to the ringgit offshore in that, in various different currencies ought not have an impact on him because in theory, uh, whatever he is consuming would not uh, change due to a fluctuation in currency. Yeah, so as long as I don't go to a Japanese restaurant or an Italian restaurant, then you know, it should be fine, right? You, 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 have, you have actually brought up a very good um, talking point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because a lot of people tend to just look at uh, what we call uh, uh, dollar ringgit. And, and they say dollar ringgit is basically um, suggesting to us that the ringgit is, is weak. Uh, and so and so forth, the ringgit is under pressure, the ringgit is so on, whatever the case is. Okay. We forget the fact that not everything is denominated in dollars. Okay, so there are certain things which are denominated in yen. So if you if you're talking about Japanese restaurants bringing in stuff uh, from from Japan to, to 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 so that means in Malaysia the Japanese restaurants basically uh, uh, import this item, correct? Yeah. So the, the 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 dollar ringgit does not really come into the equation because it's actually uh, uh, ringgit yen, yeah. That 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 matters the most because, um, and here here is basically assuming that the items are denominated in their respective currencies. Okay, um, and sometimes most of the time, dollar is just an intermediate currency in the middle. At the end of the day, let's say you know I'm someone in Malaysia, I want to buy a. Uh, 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 sashimi <laughs> tuna or whatever from from Japan itself um, unless both parties trade in dollars um, it could eventually be a case whereby I convert my ringgit uh, directly to yen pay in yen or I convert my ringgit to dollars and then that dollars uh, 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 is converted again to yen at the end of the day because the person at the other side wants to receive yen so it's not always the case where a dollar is being used, and now predominantly, not predominantly, but now also, be given the de-dollarization thing that's going on, a lot, a lot of trade is uh, traded in non-dollar, uh, or rather, it's non-dollar trades. So the yen itself, for example, I've just call up a chart very fast. I mean, I've got my laptop in front of me. So if I do a, let's say, a year to date on my ringgit yen, okay, um, it's actually not gone anywhere. Okay, so it's actually quite stable over a one-year period. Um, if I do, if I bring it all the way back to about three years from 2020 until 2023, in fact, the ringgit has strengthened against the yen. So the used to be in in April 2020, the ring one ringgit was 25 yen, now is 30.7 yen. So this is just a prime example of of or one example of you know you everybody's talking about how the ringgit is weak against the US dollar, but hey it's actually strong against the yen. So that's something which I think many people don't really understand. Um, they just tend to see it one dimension and they tend to make conclusions based on one dimension, which even then is quite complicated. And I'll, I'll go into that in a while's time after, after your next question. 
yeah, there's uh, quite quite a lot of things to explore tonight, uh, which is why we decided to start this session. But Han is here, everyone. Welcome, Han. Hi, everyone. How is, how is everyone today? Sorry about that. It's a bit late. Hey, no worries, no worries. Uh, we just got started on the first question and I kind of introduced you uh, earlier during the session already. So for those of you guys who do not know Han just yet, he is the founder and CEO of Ringgit Plus, used to be an investment banker quite a few years back. And uh, for more further introduction, I'll pass the session over to you, Han. Just do a quick introduction about yourself. No, thanks for that. Uh, sorry about that being late. Just uh, running a bit late just now. Uh, yeah, sorry, guys. Hopefully, it's been a good, good chat with, uh, with Sunny and, uh, and the team. Uh, but yeah, my, 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 me personally, just for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm a fintech entrepreneur. Um, you know, uh, been the founder of Ring Plus for the last eleven years. But prior to that, investment banker, CFA, charter holder, uh, financial planner, etc. Uh, very close to, uh, 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 you know, financial things here in Malaysia, and hopefully, I can give some good insights to everyone. Yeah. So just now we were, you know, talking about how rapid the ringgit's devaluation has been and we were exploring its effects. So uh, Mr. Sunny mentioned just now that uh, we are seeing import prices go up and said that as long as you buy, if you stay local, okay, everything that you buy is uh, in a nutshell local, then the ringgit's depreciation should not affect you. So how much do you agree with this? And apart from seeing import prices go up, uh, how does the ringgit's decline affect citizens? I think it's two main ways. Um, you know, we've 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 all seen the ringgit's decline over the last uh, last well six weeks, but also the last sixty years. I think uh, uh, one part is the financials, where you will feel it if you are uh, um, connected to the global markets, i.e., you 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 are somebody who buys a lot of imported food, uh, food and drink. Uh, you will have seen, you know, the ringgit go from you know three something to the ringgit, uh, three something to the US dollar to now four point six, four point seven to the US dollar, and all the corresponding currencies. But also, it's a sense of pride, right? Because you know the ringgit is uh, a reflection of our economy here in Malaysia. So I think uh, very much so, right? You will be affected both. Uh, 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 Financially as well as emotionally. Mm, yeah. So definitely there's some uh, issue of confidence going on here. Also, uh, but what are the reasons for this decline? Well, you know, why, 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 why are we seeing such a significant drop, not only against the US dollar, but against other major currencies? <laughs> Comparisons to our Southeast Asian counterparts, like Mr. Sunny, you mentioned just now, right? That uh, mm -hmm. at least the ringgit is uh, strengthening a tiny bit against the yen, but... Uh, our close neighbors, uh, Philippines, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, the ringgit has been declining against all those uh, currencies, you know. So, why are we seeing this? Well, um, okay, let me just take one step back and also uh, talk about terminologies again. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, words being used, ringgit is crashing. Um, you just use the word ringgit is actually... Um, um, what was the word? Not depreciation. Um, 
devaluing. Yes, you use the word devaluing. Um, actually, devaluing has a much stronger connotation um, um, in the in the same breath as as crashing and such. Uh, the ringgit devalues. The ringgit crash. Um, and 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 depreciation has a slightly less stronger connotation. I would actually use depreciation. Um, you know, when you look at how the ringgit has performed, um, I would say that there are some weakness attached to the ringgit, but by and large, a whole a big chunk of the weakness is also is also due to dollar strength. So when I say that, what it means is that you know every currency, um, you can't just look at it and say. You look at dollar ringgit and dollar ringgit goes up, and you say, "Oh, uh, this is ringgit melemah." You know, it's actually two currencies coming together, and it's in the interaction of two currencies. So the big question is, what, how has how has the dollar performed? And then the second question is, how has the ringgit performed? Okay, so you add those two together, and then you get the result of how dollar ringgit is where it is today. So when you look at the do- dollar itself, the greenback itself, the greenback has actually strengthened. And how do we tell that? We all we just have to look at all the other currencies, uh, let's say regional currencies itself. By and large, on average, um, you'll find that the greenback is stronger against dollar baht, uh, 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 dollar peso, uh, and so on. Only ex- I think only against the the rupiah is a it's a bit weaker. Uh, against the sing is quite stagnant or or neutral. Okay. So there is some dollar strength there. To, to to argue or rather to explain away some of this so-called dollar ringgit strength. So so on one hand, out of the so-called year to date, and I can see here is uh, dollar ringgit is out about six percent. Okay, won't be surprised to say two maybe two percent. Uh, again, uh, this is very hard to 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 pinpoint. Uh, we just have to use the average of of what the other regional currencies are experiencing. So you can see about two percent is basically maybe due to the dollar strength, or up to three percent, or half to half of it, basically. Okay. Then the next question is, what is what is the ringgit doing, or or in that case, how do we attribute the other half of the losses on the ringgit year to date? Um, so that is ringgit related. So that means that is very specific ringgit-centric weakness um, that we find also in certain other currencies, which I'll talk about the BAT in a while's time. Okay, And so then we have to zoom into the ringgit and say, what, what has happened in Malaysia that has caused um, ringgit weakness per se not, and not brought dollar, dollar strength? Okay, So when we look at the... My, my view is when we look at basically the equity markets and we have seen uh, a few people point this out, uh, that there has been foreign outflows from the KLCI. I think uh, uh, MIDF comes up with a very good report uh, on a weekly basis showing the fund flows for, for foreigners or so. Okay? So you can track the foreign outflows. And, and true enough, data doesn't lie. Um, there has been foreign outflows from, from Malaysia itself. So some people have latched onto that and say, oh, okay, that shows that investors are losing confidence in Malaysia. Okay? But in that same report itself, there are charts also or tables telling you what has happened in other regional current uh, uh, other regional stock markets, and by and large, other regional stock markets are also seeing outflows. Southeast Asian markets itself, the markets that are seeing inflows are the North Asian markets, Taiwan, Korea, uh, and of course to a large extent Japan. Okay. we saw the act, the act, the actual reverse of that last year itself. So my thesis or my framework of analyzing ringgit weakness is basically, from the perspective of equities, is basically uh, 
last year, uh, we had what we call the offshoring team from China to the rest of the world, meaning say a lot of Western companies were offshoring their, their factories, their manufacturing uh, facilities out of China due to poly- geopolitical reasons, putting them in Laos, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines and such. So Southeast Asia was a very good catchment of this, this offshoring from, from China and the, the, the team was there. And that's why Southeast Asia actually did very well last year despite the fact the rest of the world fell a lot. Yeah? I don't think Southeast Asia markets fell a lot. This year, because of the AI team, a lot of this money has now moved over to North Asia, Taiwan, Korea, and to some extent, Japan. Okay. So if you look at that, you would say that this is not just Malaysian-centric. This is regional-centric. There has, been a re- there has been a switching of funds out of Southeast Asia, which was uh, inflow last year, outflow this year. And the reason being, fund managers have switched from Southeast Asia to North Asia. And if I were a fund manager managing an Asian fund, okay, I would do that because the the, the story now is AI. Uh, we know we know Korea and Taiwan are big in terms of technology, so we do that switch. So it's 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 explainable in my sense. You can rationalize it, and it tells you that it is non ringgit centric. It is a broad based regional shift. Okay, so if we take that and you say that accounts for maybe another two odd percent, let's say. Okay, then maybe you come up to about four or five percent that you can explain away dollar strength and and targeted Malaysian centric, uh, 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 sorry, uh, equity centric weakness, but regional driven, okay. and that leaves about another maybe one or two percent. That is, is how do we explain that? When I look at it, I probably say probably will say that's political. I'll probably say maybe some money has flown up, uh, flowed out because of uh, uh, the political uncertainty uh, that it still surrounds uh, the Malaysian government or the Malaysian political scene, despite the fact that we've, we've gone through an election. Why do I draw that conclusion? Because when I look over in Thailand itself, the Thai butt has weakened quite significantly because Thailand itself is also undergoing some political uncertainty. There's a, there's a parliament sitting and they don't know whether they can form the government. So that also tells me that investors are putting a premium on political risks and that tells me that maybe some of this ringgit weakness that we're seeing is there's some element of political risk in there. So in a nutshell, dollar strength, uh, uh, outflows from, from, from uh, Malaysian equities, but not it's not driven only solely by fears of Malaysia. It is actually a regional switch. And then Malaysia-specific is the political risk premium, which Thailand is also facing. So I would then say that losses we've seen here to date, you can actually break it up. So rather than just say, oh, Malaysia's ringgit is down by 6% against the dollar, uh, the country is doing badly and such. No, I think you sh- everybody should take a step back, decipher what's driving it, and when you do that, you realize that actually, you know, it's explainable and it's not so worrisome. The worrisome thing would be if the ringgit basically saw tremendous capital outflows. People were selling bonds, selling equities, and all the other regions were actually going the opposite direction. People were investing in them, but they're leaving Malaysia. I mean, that would be a main worry. You know, if the ringgit had, had weakened, let's say, for example, in the same uh, manner as the 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 Turkish lira or the Argentinian peso or the Sri Lankan uh, currency, 
you know, then and those currencies are down at 40, 50, 100% kind of thing. You know? And here we are down by what, 5, 6% year to date. So a depreciation, yes. A devaluation, no. Yeah, hand it over to Hans. Yeah, well said. So Hans, same question. Uh, reasons for the ringgit's decline. Uh, why have we experienced such a uh, quote-unquote significant drop? Like, but when we compare it to like what Mr. Sani said just now, Turkish lira and all those other currencies, right, I would say, yeah, we're probably doing still okay. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a few things, you, you know, as a... Two things, as a kind of Malaysian slash as a Malaysian commentator, you just need to be aware of. Right? I, I Obviously, a lot of things that Sunny mentioned, I, I can't disagree. But but for me, the, the if, if you're looking at the ringgit, you know, in its it, it, it specifically, right, you'll look at things like, okay, how is our, how is our national position? Right? How is our financial position as a country, right? How are we doing? You know, from a fiscal position, how are we doing from monetary position? Are we just printing a lot of cash? You know, are we in a bit of trouble with our debt to GDP? Are we? Uh, how are we with our national budget? Right. You look at our national budget. You know, last year we were, uh, we were in a five percent range. We we're, were projected to be going to four to three. This is well under control in terms of our our national deficit. So no major issues there. Uh, you look at our. Uh, 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 monetary position, are we printing too much cash? You know, our M2, uh, which is a, a measure of how much money, how much ringgit there is versus how many assets there are, you know, is going up by 3 to 5% a year. Not too, not too crazy, right? So there's no specific reason structurally for ringgit to be uh, uh, in crisis or in, in huge issues, right? So that's the kind of couple of things you need to look at first, right? Like, and it seems to be okay. Right, so then what's left is you know you look at the fiscal, you look at the monetary, then last is the uh, demand supply stuff, right? So you look at the supply. Supply looks okay, well controlled. Uh, we're not printing a crazy amount of money, uh, you know, not like the lira, not like the Lebanese pound, not like the peso, right? Which means then you look at the the, the demand side, right? Which is hey, look like uh, what's what are the stories that are uh, driving people to one ringgit? rather than sell ringgit for something else, right? And I think that is the big issue, which is uh, political uncertainty around this new government over the last six months plus, right? Uh, hey, look, I'm not too sure about Malaysia. There's some political uncertainty. It's a coalition government, first ever in Malaysia. We've never had this. Um, and there's, you know, state elections coming. How stable is this government? You know, if I'm a foreign investor, why should I keep the ringgit? Why shouldn't I send it, sell it for for US dollars, why should I sell it for Sing dollars? Why shouldn't I sell it for any other Asian currency? Right? Um, I th I think that's there's a big question mark there, right? And we need to solve you know this political uncertainty. You know, if I'm an investor, I think you know I've been speaking to many foreign investors slash investors investing foreignly for like for investing in foreign markets. And this political uncertainty is certainly causing some concern. Around hey, why should I hold ringgit when when we're not even sure uh, whether we're going to have same prime minister, same policies next year, right? And this has been the case for the last five years. We've had essentially four prime ministers in the last four years uh, um, with, with 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 uncertainty around whether or not they'll keep the same policy. So for me, it's a case of why should I hold ringgit, right? So uh, I, I know uh, Mr. Sunny mentioned about you know a classic. Uh, uh, demand and supply stuff, but I'll just focus on, you know, 
qualitatively, if I'm a foreign investor, why should I hold Ringgit today? I think we need to resolve this important part first. All right, and that's it's coming in the next six to eight weeks, right? Like I think sitting here in September, one way or another, politically things are going to be far more certain than they are today. Yeah, great point you mentioned. Uh, I, I really like the question where you ask, you know, foreigners, foreigners ask, why should I even hold the ringgit? I mean, when you direct these questions to us Malaysians ourselves, we are also unsure why we are holding the ringgit, right? You can ask any Malaysian over here and probably any Malaysian on the street, uh, would you prefer having your salary in a Sing dollar, US dollar or the Malaysian ringgit? No, undoubtedly, almost everyone will choose either Sing dollar or US dollar. The answer becomes quite clear because of, uh, like what you said just now, like, there's a lot of political uncertainty and uh, our government has been changed quite a few times in the past few years also. And there's a rocky state over here. Okay? But the other side of the thing, which I think that uh, we did not mention, is Bank Nagara Malaysia, right? And uh, I think I recently posted about the ringgit's decline also and many people began tagging Bank Nagara Malaysia like, Bank Nagara Malaysia can do something like that. So let's just talk about it. Let's just tackle this question. Um, the ringgit's weakness, people are claiming that it is due to the lack of action from Bank Nagara Malaysia. Okay, so what measures could BNM undertake in this situation? Han, you want to take this question first? Sure, sure. I think, um, you know, um, as the central bank, naturally, if you look at their uh, um, yeah, remit, right? Bank Negara has very specific focus, which is to ensure, uh, you know, the stability of prices, uh, stability of financial markets, stability of the ringgit. Now, you know, this has been discussed tremendously. There are a few things they can do, right, to ensure these things. The first is uh, uh, what they call open market operations of uh, FX operations, right? Which is, you know, can I make sure that, you know, uh, I use the firepower or the the reserves that I have, um, you know, I sell US dollars in my reserves to buy ringgit to ensure the ringgit price remains stable. That is, you know, currency intervention, right? Which is, hey, look, I'm Bank Negara. I have some reserves, which is in, in not in ringgit. Let's say I have pounds, I have US dollars, I have Sing dollars. I sell that in the market, creating selling pressure on uh, um, these currencies vis-a-vis -vis versus ringgit. Means I, I defend ringgit by buying more ringgit in the market. Um, so that's one way to do it. The other way that has been widely reported is by setting the local uh, overnight rate or interest rate. In Malaysia, we call it OPR, overnight policy rate. The higher that I set it, the higher the interest that somebody holding ringgit will get, right? So if I if I set OPR at, say, 4% versus 3 today, uh, again, this is not me telling BN Garo what to do. I'm just saying, uh, what they can do, which is, let's say I set 4% today, that's higher than, 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 than plenty of other markets. It's still lower than the US. Uh, but that creates demand for ringgit, right? Because if I hold ringgit, I get high interest versus holding other currencies. So that creates demand for ringgit, which in a way strengthens ringgit. So there's a few things they can do. But Bangalore, right, in regard to this recent ringgit weakening over the last six weeks, have RI said, Nothing of, of that sort. What they've outright said is, we're committed to ensure stability. Um, and and uh, uh, um, I think the word is, uh, 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 you know, uh, lack of uh, reducing volatility means re reducing, you know, the ringgit doing big swings. So they, 
there's little they can do given our long-term interest rate levels to to change the direction of currency. That has to come from fiscal and monetary uh, policy um, rather than what Bank Negara does day-to-day. Right? They can control the, the, the volatility of day-to-day ringgit, but the long-term decline or you know, uh, uh, increase of ringgit is not currently what they, 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 they do. Right, they're just there to make sure that ringgit doesn't have massive five percent swings per day, right? But long term, right? You know, this they've already said, look, it has to come from our economic development. So you know, our GDP is projected to go five percent this year, shouldn't shrink. Uh, plus our fiscal policy, let's make sure we don't generate too much deficits in our national budget. So that's what Bangladesh is saying that it can do, which is, hey, look, let's stabilize things if they have to decrease. Let's make sure it's done controlled rather than wild swings. Mm, yeah. So, uh, Mr. Sunny, same question also. Uh, people attributing weakness, ringgit's weakness to lack of action from Bank Negara Malaysia. Uh, what measures could BNM undertake? Well, the question itself also demonstrates that um, the lack of, of um, awareness on, on how we should look at the ringgit itself. I mean, just because the ringgit has weakened by 6% uh, year-to-date doesn't necessarily mean the central bank has to come in and defend it. And I think Han has put it, uh, put it very uh, well. Um, you know, we, we are, or most of the world adopt what we call free-floating currencies. Um, between, between currencies and interest rates, central banks tend to, to, to control interest rates. They allow the currencies to actually float. Okay. So currency is basically just a reflection of demand and supply for the currency itself, okay. uh, which is traded cross-border, basically. So when Han says long-term uh, ringgit direction and such, it is basically a question of in the future, let's say today we stand here and we say we are point A, and we look 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, and that's point B. Will point B be higher where ringgit strength is, is stronger? Or point B will be lower where ringgit is, 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 is weaker than today? It's a really a function of, of the demand and supply of ringgit, which is easily broken down in the balance of payment of a, a country's account. Under the balance of payment, you have the current account, where there is the exports and imports of goods and services. And then you have on the other side, the capital account and a very big one would be the financial account where the FDIs, your, your capital products, uh, bonds, equities and so on. And inside there will be some, you know, inside this account will be some dividend flows, transfers and so on. These all represent demand and supply for, for Ringgit. Someone who has FDI who wants to come in would then have to bring in his dollars, bring in his sing dollars or whatever the case is, change it to ringgit, i.e. demand for ringgit, ringgit goes up. Someone who sells a ringgit bond, um, a foreigner who sells a ringgit bond or ringgit, uh, ringgit denominated equity, KLCI, and then transfers the money out, would then sell, sell the ringgit and obtain dollars and then there is actually a, a pressure on the ringgit to go down. So this, this account captures everything that is ringgit demand and supply okay if let's just assume let's this is assumption let's assume we get the economic policies right there is basically large amount of foreign direct investment 
there's confidence in the KLCI. Malaysian bonds issued by Malaysian companies and issued by the government are in demand. So therefore, we see a lot of uh, uh, ringgit demand coming in and therefore, we the point B which I was talking to you about, that's actually a strengthening of the ringgit over the long term. Okay? So let's just assume that's the case. Lah, huh? uh, we, can talk, we can talk later about whether that's that's my view, but let's just take this as the baseline example. Okay. That point A to point B is not a straight line. In between, you will find that ringgit will fluctuate away from this so-called straight line. Some You can say maybe in a cyclical manner, sometimes up, sometimes down, sometimes up, sometimes down. Okay, But it ends up higher, point B ends up higher than point A because why? Because we've got the policies right, we attracted foreign direct investment, we have foreigners coming to buy a KLCI and Malaysian bonds. So at the end of the day, B is higher than A. Okay, But in between, it's not a straight line. And that's where Bank Nagara comes in because if that swing moves too far away from what we call the fundamental values, where fundamentally the, the, the ringgit ought to be given the, 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 the position of the economy. Now, that's the role of the central bank because sometimes these swings can be quite uh, large, either due to speculation or whatever the case is, and the central bank then has to step in to ensure that basically it is more orderly. It's not so much to... To, the central bank can't change the direction of the currency. Uh, it can in the short term by intervention. But that fundamental A to B is dictated by economic policy and where your economy is going. Okay? And I think Hans mentioned that point. So, I mean, we can talk about this in the third question or fourth question. Yeah. So that is where uh, we, are, uh, we are going. But short-term bank negara, they can use interest rates to defend a currency. They can come in and use uh, what we call direct currency intervention by using their reserves. They can put capital controls. Whatever the case is, they can do it. But all of this basically uh, is short-term in nature. It's not meant to change the ringgit's direction, so to say. It's just to say that, hey, this is too far away from where we believe fundamentals are and our job is to try and keep the currency fairly stable uh, based on where the fundamentals are. So, so to say that Bank Nagara ought to step in now because it's 5%, number one, I don't think 5% is a lot, 6% is a lot. And number two, it's not too far away, in my view, at this particular point from fundamentals to justify that kind of intervention. Wow, Mr. Sunny. There's a lot of content you talked about just now and uh, a lot of things for me to unpack. Uh. There is a huge misunderstanding about Bank Nagara Malaysia from citizens, you know, now that you mention it. Yeah, because uh, and then let me just touch on one point. I mean the headline ahead, and you, yeah, the headline that the star came up with, right? Everybody is saying Bank Nagara has intervened. I mean, I don't think I read the whole story. I don't think Bank Nagara has mentioned that they had intervened at all. They did they uh, just you know? They said they, they will intervene. La. I haven't they, actually read they, it. they said they will intervene. And they said they, we will intervene if, 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 if volatility picks up, if the ringgit moves away from fundamentals and such. So they are just saying what they have been saying and they, they are mandated to do. Um, and so, so it's just telling you what, what, what their responsibility is. Um, but they've not intervened. Uh, to my knowledge, again, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I read through the story, there's no indication that they've gone in the markets. Yeah, we, we will definitely explore this question later like, because those are a few of our next questions. Yeah, like, like, like what I said just now, like, and also you mentioned, there is a huge misunderstanding about Bank Nagara Malaysia from uh, citizens. Okay, The ringgit's fall isn't actually you know, completely Bank Nagara Malaysia's fault. 
Uh, and, and by the way, guys, for those of you who are in the session, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, uh, just send us a DM or send any of these speakers a DM, okay? And uh, after one, one more or two more questions from us, we will transition to the Q&A session. You'll be able to step up and uh, directly ask these speakers questions, okay? So you can also comment, right? The bottom right-hand corner, you'll be able to comment your questions uh, if you have any burning things to ask, okay? So... Um, Ringgit's fall isn't really due to Bank Negara Malaysia, but citizens, they are still proposing BNM to raise the OPR by a fair margin in order to play catch up with other central banks. Like, like what you mentioned just now, Han, right? Because once you raise the OPR, then if it's much higher than all our regional central banks, then that will actually drive demand back towards the Ringgit. But wouldn't such an OPR hike, two or three more OPR hikes, further burden citizens as what we are currently seeing already? No, absolutely. Like, I think the Bank Negara needs to play a very balancing role here. They cannot just raise OPR indiscriminately. I think if they look at uh, the purpose of OPR, it's not about currency at all, right? If you look at, hey, what's OPR supposed to be for? It's actually to ensure that there is something called price stability. And that essentially means inflation, right? Um, uh, um, there's a secondary purpose. They say, oh, to be accommodative to the economic growth, i.e. GDP plus uh, uh, make sure people are higher, uh, sorry, people, people are at work, i.e. employment rate. But the primary goal of OPR is to ensure that there's price stability. What that means is inflation is under control. Now, they last... They lost a little bit of control last year in 2022, but that's not too bad because the entire world's central banks uh, lost control of price stability, i.e. inflation last year. Uh, in fact, due to government subsidies last year, we were the far most, you know, uh, under control. <laughs> I, I, I use that word very loosely. Uh, we still had really re relatively high inflation to us, but, you know, relatively the rest of the world is not that high. So, uh, uh, you know, OPR is used not to defend the currency actually is actually used to ensure that hey look the more we increase OPR the less we uh, the less that uh, uh, the rakyat or us will demand in terms of goods and services therefore keeping a lid on prices right so using demand to control prices um uh, on, on uh, but but it does have the side effect or you know uh, subsequent effect of 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 impacting the ringgit right because if you have a 4% OPR versus a global average OPR of 3.5, naturally, there'll be more demand for the ringgit. Because if you imagine, if you, if, you know, many of your listeners, uh, Shinji, at the Futurists, they are kind of, you know, slightly more financially savvy. Uh, they'll be like, uh, things like looking like at the best interest rate to keep their money. Global investors are similar, right? They, they look for the best places to keep their risk-free money. Uh, um, and if there's a country which offers them 4% over another country which offers them 25 or 3%, I would be more compelled to keep money in that country which is offering 4%, right? Which then uh, causes me to convert whatever currency I have, whether it's US dollars, pounds, yen, euro, um, to ringgit to then earn that 4% if it was 4%. Now, the OPR today is in the 3% range. Uh, this is in contrast to the rest of the world, right? The rest of the world is at, you know, uh, in the US, it's 5.25. In the UK, it's 5. In, in Europe, it's 3.5. Uh, in Indonesia, it's well over that, etc., etc., etc. The only place that's lower than us, coincidentally, 
the only large economy that's that's far lower than us is 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 still the yen, uh, and and that's probably why the yen's depreciated as well, right? So in a way, the only way that you can control, uh, as Ben Negara, if I want to control long term inflation, uh, sorry, long term, uh, uh, ringgit value is this OPR differential versus other markets. But then you mentioned it correctly, which is why should I increase OPR just to defend the ringgit? When actually my the job of OPR is to uh, adjust whether people spend or not, right? The higher the OPR is, the less money they have to spend, which controls inflation, right? So ringgit defense is not the main job of uh, uh, this uh, the the MPC or the Bank Negara per, uh, committee, which sets OPR, right? It just happens to be uh, I don't say side effect, but it's is is it is a side effect of 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 adjusting OPR, right? And Right now, Bank Negara have not outright said, hey, we're setting OPR to, to target ringgit strength or weakness. We're setting OPR to target inflation, i.e. if inflation is high, we need to increase OPR to, to reduce consumer demand because we need to take away spending power in order to, to rein in inflation. So people don't have a lot of money to spend, therefore they spend less, therefore we control inflation. Right? So I think that's the big nuance that people need to understand. Yeah, this is another mind blow right here, okay, because uh, a lot of people tend to misunderstand and think that OPR hikes is meant to strengthen the ringgit or weaken the ringgit, but actually, the main purpose of Bank Negara Malaysia adjusting the overnight policy rate is to put a lid on inflation, okay. And uh, Han, sorry to put you on the spot over here, you previously did a calculation on how much every 25 basis points uh, hike in the OPR affects the mortgage rate of citizens. Do you still remember the calculation? Do you just want to quickly uh, tell it to the audience? Sure, sure, sure. Very simply, like for everyone here with a floating, floating rate loan, right? a 0.25 increase in OPR, which is very standard, they go up in 0.25 or 0.5 kind of uh, uh, levels. So every 25 bips or 0.25% in OPR right, increases a floating rate loan which is about, uh, as in by 35 ringgit a month for every 250,000 principal you have. So let's say you have a, a home loan and your balance is 250,000. Every 25 bips or 0.25% increase in OPR will increase your monthly repayment by about 35 ringgit. So, you know, if you have 500,000, it's 70 ringgit. If you have 1 million, it's 140 ringgit. Uh, give or take one or two ringgit here and there lah. So just to, for everyone to know, you know, it really affects people or uh, the rakyat who have floating rate loans, meaning loans which are uh, floating according to the OPR. There are obviously some of us which have fixed rate loans, uh, those of us with car loans, those of us with certain types of personal financing or personal loans which are fixed, which are not affected by OPR. That one, uh, your bank is tanggung, is, your bank is, is, is tangonging. But for most of us who have a floating rate loan, uh, specifically home loans, that is the increase. 35 ringgit for every 250,000 uh, loan outstanding or loan principal. Yeah, so I mean, if you can find the calculation or the tweet, uh, uh, it would be very helpful if you can just pin it up on this Twitter space so that people can uh, really refer to it, get back to it whenever they need to do a quick calculation. And just to keep you there before I go over to Mr. Sunny. It also affects new loans, right? Let's say uh, if I were to take a new car loan, then isn't that based on the current OPR, not the previous OPR, right? Yeah, if you take a new car loan, 
today quite likely you will see an interest rate of a a a a a cost which is higher than if you took a car loan this time last year. So this time last year, um, I think uh, let's let's put it at April twenty twenty two lah. Uh, right, that was when the OPR was one point seven five. What you probably have seen is a new car loan or a new personal loan, which is far lower than today. Obviously, uh, the rate that you get is dependent on your own uh, uh, your own risk level with the bank, right? But be, uh, as in certain paribus, i.e., not everything else equal, you will see definitely higher today as a result of OPR or the base rate increasing. So just, just keep that in mind, which is when you start getting the loan for fixed rate loans also matter depending on the OPR level of the day. Right, right. Okay. So Mr. Sunny, same question. Um, Bank of Ground Malaysia raising the OPR, effective solution to strengthen the ringgit or is it just a delusion? <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with Han. It's, it's not meant um, as a as a primary tool um, to strengthen the ringgit, um, let's put it this way: lah. the first line of defense, if the ringgit deviates too much from um, its so-called fundamentals, is direct intervention on the current FX markets, and and that even is to either sometimes to buy or even to sell. It's not necessarily just to buy ringgit. Sometimes it could be actually to sell ringgit because ringgit has become too strong. Okay, um, and vis uh, vis vis the economy. Any central bank which then moves on to the second line of defense, which is to raise interest rates, actually that is a super big red flag. So why? Because when they when central banks tend to do that, means that their currency intervention either doesn't work, uh, or slash n, there is massive outflows from the country itself. So therefore, they need to raise domestic rates in order to keep foreigners in, which typically doesn't entice foreigners. But anyway, that is an, an attempt to, 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 to keep money from flowing out, which will weaken the ringgit. And thereafter, I mean, there's not many instruments left. There would be um, either selected or limited or even full-fledged currency uh, capital controls and such. So OPR has never been, interest rates have never been for many central banks the primary tool for intervention. Um, it has always been that 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 one where you break the glass and take it out when there's a real emergency. So um, central banks which use that tell them tells us use interest rates tell us that basically it's in 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 a bit of a trouble situation. Yeah. Um, I want to touch a little bit on this this notion that you know um, if a central bank raises interest rate, it's going to hit the economy. Why? Why are central banks? So stupid to do so, you know, and I'm when I say stupid to do so, it means worldwide. You know, we see now the ECB raising rates, despite the fact that there are recession indicators flashing red in the in the US. We see the US raising rates, despite the fact. So a lot of laymen, uh, or, or a lot of normal people, were, 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 people on the street on the ground, say like this doesn't make sense. You know that they, they we're heading for a recession. Why do you still want to raise interest rates? Uh, let me try and explain this. It's not easy to explain. But let me try and explain this from an economic perspective or how economists look at this and how central bankers look at this. Okay. The when inflation is very high, like what we are facing right now today, the biggest worry for a central banker and economist is basically. You, and you may have heard this word, inflation becomes entrenched in the economy. So the word entrenched here tells you that it becomes permanent. And, how, and so how do, you, how do you explain the permanency of inflation in the economy? When prices remain high for an extended period of time, it gets into the psyche of people that, hey, prices are high. 
I will have to adjust all my price expectation higher, including my wages itself. So when I go for my next round of wage negotiation with my 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 employers, I'm no longer going to ask for five percent. So ask for ten percent. Why? Because inflation is five and my increment is five. So I need to ask for a ten percent increase in, in in my salary. Once that happens you will find that basically the, then the employer will start to transfer the pricing over to its products and therefore end up over to the consumer at the end of the day. And that is a vicious cycle. And that is a cycle which is very difficult to break one it, once it starts. Okay? So between having to deal with that, the entrenchment of higher rates in the psyche of, of, of employees, and, uh, and the cycle of rates just rising and rising and rising because there, you know, it feeds into higher uh, prices of products, goes back to the employee. Employee says, I, now I need another 15% increase. You know, that will damage the economy permanently. Yeah. Where else the lesser evil is to say, let's kill inflation in the, in, uh, right now in the butt or in the, uh, nip it in the butt. Okay. How do we do that? We raise rates. And yes, there is short-term pain, which is the economy slows down. But guess what? With higher interest rates, so-called domestic demand or, or, or demand is actually crimped, uh, 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 scaled back, and therefore prices come off. And I, the central bank, I, the, 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 the government, we are actually more comfortable, or rather we are more equipped, let's put it the wrong word to use, we're more equipped to handle a slower economy. Why? I can use monetary policy. I can use fiscal policy. You know? So when there's a slower economy, I have stuff, I have, I have in my arsenal of instruments, things to come in to say, I can cushion this because guess what? This is an economic cycle. It's a down cycle. I'll, I'll, I'll cushion this. Vis-a-vis -vis the first scenario which I told you, how do you break that? You know? we, a good example of that actually is the reverse in Japan when they had the deflationary side, uh, spiral, it took them so many years, decades, to break the psyche of the Japanese uh, 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 consumer to not expect prices to fall. Because everybody was saying prices are falling, going to fall in six months' time, going to fall in one year' time, I will hold back my consumption, let's not buy now, let's buy six months later. And therefore, it was a, a, a thing which was just so dreaded, it, 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 the economy was dragged down and so on and so forth. That is something which central banks want to avoid. So between two evils, two necessary evils, or two evils, slower economy, I can handle that, I've talked about instruments, and an entrenched psyche which is so difficult to handle, central banks prefer the first one. And so central banks will raise rates to kill off inflation despite the fact that it will cause a recession. Yeah, just a quick very short story about the uh, Japan over there. You mentioned something very interesting. Uh, if you guys have a computer or perhaps go to your Safari right now, do a quick Google search, Japan's historical GDP. You'll realize over the past three decades, Japan's GDP has been stagnant. Yeah, it's a very scary sight. Compared to Malaysia's GDP and uh, first world countries like the US, the GDP is always going up one. So yeah, there's a big reason for that, uh, but we're not going to go into that today. Uh, that's, that's a whole nother a can of worms, okay? Let's just stick to the session tonight. Uh, on to our next question. Bank Negara Malaysia, yesterday, now this is the emergency part, right? Which is why we conducted the session tonight. 
the central bank announced its intention to intervene directly in the currency market to halt the uh, depreciation of the ringgit. Okay? So Han, how effective is this approach? Could we see the ringgit you know, reach the 4.44 range or perhaps, or is it just going to stem the bleeding? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I noticed that the announcement too. I think it was probably uh, in response to a question from the media. Uh, a, a senior bank Nagara official saying, hey, look, like we do what we always do anyway, which is intervene in the foreign currency markets. But I think, you know, if we are hoping for Bank Nagara to step in and save the day and to kind of strengthen our use, you know, turn on something, turn on the jets and set and strengthen our ringgit from 4.68 to, you know, 4.2 or whatever, I think that is, is highly misplaced, right? What Bank Nagara can do is on a day-to-day -day basis, ensure that, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the long-term trend is, is steady. What I mean by that is if we're going to go down due to all the factors we said before in the past half an hour around uh, attractiveness of the currency, our OPR rates versus uh, the global, uh, the global uh, rates that are available, uh, attractiveness of our local market when it comes to investment, Right. If we're going to go down or up, whichever the direction is, we're going to do it uh, 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 gradually and in a low volatility manner. It means no large swings, no like, you know, big swings, 5% up, 5% down, 5% up, 5% down. We're going to go there. Uh, we're going to hit to that, that, that whatever a long-term trend is, we're going to hit to that trend in a steady, gradual manner. I think that's what Bank Negara is saying they will do, which is uh, they have the sufficient power, firepower on a day-to-day -day basis to make sure that there's no big swings in the ringgit. So it won't suddenly go from 4.69 today, uh, 4.66 today to 4.75 tomorrow and then down to 4.5 the next day. No big swings, but the, the structural decline or, or, or increase, as the case may be, will be measured and controlled. So what Bank Negara can do with the reserves they have, with the firepower that they have, is to ensure that ringgit is a... Uh, 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 ringgit will move in a low volatility manner, so that's what Bank Negara can do, right? What, what they do is they, 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 they control their, their, their two ways. One is they, 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 they control the, the, the purchase and sales of, 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 of bonds, for example, the government bonds that, that, that are being issued by a government, right? The second is that they can use their reserves. We have about 500 billion ringgit worth of reserves, which sounds like a lot, but really it's not enough to change the direction of the ringgit. It can impact the volatility of the ringgit, so you won't see suddenly 4.75 tomorrow and then the next day 4.5. All right, that's big swings, right? What you'll see is, okay, today is 4.66, right? Maybe tomorrow will be 4.65 or 4.67. So that kind of, that's what I mean by reducing volatility. That's what Bank Nagara say they'll do, reduce the volatility they say almost nothing about the direction. If you look at the, the if you look at the announcement, they say almost nothing about long-term direction of the ringgit. That one has to come from fiscal policy and economic growth of our country. So that's to give everyone the expectation of what Bank Negara would, would do. They're not going to wake up one day after this announcement, start buying ringgit and send ringgit down to 4.5, 4.4, 4.3. No, that's not what they do. Right? That's not their job. That's not the, what they say they're going to do. What they say they're going to do is keep ringgit well uh, 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 controlled and measured in whatever direction it goes, whether it's up or down. So it's just like a cushioning. It's not essentially trying to change yeah. the, 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 the direction. It's just providing perhaps a smooth transition. You know, Hans, you. You, know, you know, Hans, what, what the irony is? 
if Ben Nagara comes in and you know intervenes, sends the ringgit down to four 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 point zero, you have one half of the country happy and one half of the country not happy. It's like there's it's a no win situation <laughs> because um, everybody has to understand that basically the ringgit is where it is for a reason. Unless it's way beyond where it should be, then of course Ben Nagara ste- steps in. Everybody needs to move away from the fact that a weaker ringgit is detrimental. You know, yes, if it's weaker by twenty, thirty percent, and everybody else is 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 where they are today, then it sends a signal that there's something wrong. It's not significantly weaker where where compared to everybody else. In fact, it's slightly weaker than everybody else, which actually is a positive. Because I remember many times in my career where we had devaluations on the Chinese yuan, for example, and everybody else was devaluing at, at, uh, at the same time because of what we call competitive devaluation. Everybody wanted to be weaker so that their exports could sell. And so you can't then say that, oh, everybody's doing very badly because everybody's weaker. No, because everybody wanted to do it. It was a positive. So let's not get overly hyped up when the ringgit drops by 6%. There are reasons why there's, it's, it's like that and I explained in my first question, the first answer. Unless you tell me it's down by 15, 20, 30% and everybody else is only down by 1, 2% or even up, then I say there's reason to, to worry. But at this particular level, I think it's people, or I think it's just not understanding this thing thoroughly enough and, and certain quarters using this as a, a, a political agenda and such. And when I say certain quarters using it, I'm actually looking at both sides of it because I do remember back a couple of years ago when the ringgit was weakening. Uh, also, I think people from the current government were also using that. So I think politicians by and large, my view, my view, personal view, should just stay away from, from, from this thing because it's a no-win situation. You know, you cannot just say ringgit is strong, therefore we're doing well. Ringgit is weak, we're not doing well. It's just a no-win situation and you have this ding-dong and just leave it alone and focus on getting the policies right and you will be assured of a strengthening ringgit over the long run. Yeah. Now that you mentioned policies, right, let's dive right into it. Okay. Um, just to inform you guys, you guys can ask questions uh, for those people in the audience. Okay, bottom right-hand corner, there's a comment section. Just comment your questions. Uh, I'm currently monitoring it. Otherwise, you can DM us, the Futurists, as well, or any of these speakers. Uh, they'll check their DMs and see if there are any questions from you guys. Alternatively, I think after the last question, we only have about one or two more questions left. Uh, you can step up yourself and ask uh, these extremely knowledgeable speakers uh, your questions. Okay. So now on to government policies, fiscal policies, what the uh, current coalition can do. Han, what should they do? What, I mean, what's the first thing that they, they, they need to tackle first? We have already talked about Bank Nagara Malaysia, right, which is uh, uh, supposed to be independent from the government. They can't really do much. We already concluded that they're just here to provide a smooth transition into whichever direction the government wants it to go. So then what can the government do? Wow, that's the that's the million you no know, billion no trillion dollar question, right? Um, which is what can we do? I mean, the first thing I think Mr. Sunny hit the nail on the head, which is number one, stop focusing on the ringgit as uh, uh, as a as a goal, right? And start focusing on more important things as goal, and the ringgit will take care of itself. What I mean by that is two things. Number one, focus on two main things. Now, first is 
uh, GDP growth, right, which is the stronger our economy is, uh, the ringgit will take care of itself, right? Why? Because we, be, we, we become seen as a strong, vibrant economy, which is growing 5, 6, 7% a year, right, which is ahead of many nations, including developed nations, right? Uh, as an emerging country, market country, we need to really focus on growth, you know, in excess of global growth. So global GDP, all right, the global trend for GDP is somewhere between, I want to say, 2 to 3% uh, uh, or, uh, every year over a five-year period. If everyone looks at the average over the last five years, you want to see global growth at 3%. As an emerging country, we really need to be targeting 2 to 3% above that you know, kind of, kind of proof our kind of uh, uh, ourselves into the kind of developed market status, right? In order to reach that, we need to grow at five, six, seven percent, right? Um, so that's the first thing. Focus not so much on the ringgit. The ringgit takes care of itself once you focus on uh, economic growth, right? And you know, again, the trillion dollar question is how do you drive economic growth? All the good stuff, lah. Productivity growth with our our people, because people are a big part of our economy productivity growth with domestic and foreign investment into the country, productivity growth with uh, 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 um, producing more products with, you know, for the same amount of work or more doing better work, more productive work, higher quality work, not just digging stuff up from the ground, digging stuff up from the ocean, uh, you know, and planting trees which, which or planting plants which grow at the same rate they were growing 50 years ago. All the good stuff which is, you know, out of the scope of this discussion. Number one, right, economic growth. Number two, make sure our fiscal deficit slash our our um our uh, our fiscal position is well controlled. Meaning, we're not borrowing immensely to fund operations of this country. What I mean by operation of this country is this uh, what we call operational expenditure, right? If we're, if we're having to to borrow significantly to fund our opex, you know, our salaries for running government, our not just salaries but also the the cost of running government is just too high versus our economic growth. You know, that's a drag on our economy. So that's the kind of, you know, big two areas that government needs to focus on. Third area is to make sure that, you know, uh, our, our, our market is liquid and we're not putting random gates. Uh, we're not limiting people from investing in our market, trading in and out of market. Do not limit people. Uh, to, give you, to give everyone a sense, like imagine if you have a bank which you put money in your current account, but they limit you. you. Cannot take money out. You can only take hundred ringgit out a month. Would you want to put money into that bank? Like if you have a bank in Malaysia, uh, you're banking with that bank versus any other bank. You have this bank, which hey, you put money in, but a hey, maximum withdrawal is hundred ringgit a month, right? Hundred ringgit a day. Would you want to do it? And and that's what I mean by you know uh, 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 artificial controls, which actually it, it sounds good that hey, less people you know, uh, taking money out of our bank or out of our country or change, you know, but, but that actually makes you less attractive as a country to, 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 to hold and buy ringgit. We need to make sure ringgit is, is liquid, highly tradable, not randomly gated. So kind of two or three key areas where the government needs to focus on versus just, hey, look, ben, uh, forcing Ben Nagara to intervene or making, making Ben Nagara do things which increase the value. By focusing on economic growth, our structural fiscal deficit, and freedom of, of capital, right? Moving, easy to move money in and out uh, as an investor or as a proprietor or as an employee, whatever it may be. Uh, these are things, you know, and these are not all the things, but these are key things that you, as a government, need to focus on to ensure that, you know, that, 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 that the country moves forward and the ringgit will take care of itself. 
Okay. Um, I just got a message from Sinji. His line is a bit unstable. So he said, take over the session. And uh, now I know why he gave me the co-host. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, let me then just answer the, the same question that was posed to you to you earlier on. Uh, Sinji, you're back. Oh, no. Okay. okay. So um, I would go back to the, fr- to the framework. Or the framework I typically use for long-term um, direction of currencies is the balance of payment. Uh, again, the balance of payment captures the in and out demand and supply uh, uh, of currencies uh, traded cross border with that country. Okay, so, so you want to see more inflows into Malaysia, and therefore long long term, uh, your 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 balance of payment will be positive, and the ringgit will will strengthen. So, what are, what is the balance of payment one? So again, one more time, your exports minus imports. So you need to be competitive enough to have a trade surplus, a current account surplus, every year or at least consistently in order to generate the, the demand for ringgit. So so a big question is how do you then gain from a policy perspective competitive uh, uh, a competitive economy, a productive economy. And then you can go down to it's the education system, it's the it's the taxes, the, the competitive taxes, um, and so on and so on and so on. So so that is one part of the demand for ringgit which will drive long-term strength in the local currency. On the other side will be the financial uh, financial account, which basically is then the foreign direct investment. Are we, are we attracting um, the necessary foreign direct investment? Um, and then there is the capital, uh, um, the capital side of it, or capital um, what, instruments, um, uh, our stocks. Uh, uh, why was, do our stock markets, or does our stock market actually attract investors to come in our are the companies on the stock market competitive are they the right type of companies are they just all old school old-fashioned and not the high-tech one which which is dealing you know i think any stock market in the world today which is focused on it which is focused on 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 decarbonization climate change and even some aspect of commodity these are going to do well on the field so so this kind of thing which attracts uh um, inflows into 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 the into the country itself so I think you get all these right, uh, both on the current account side, both on the financial side. And I think you will have, at the end of the day, a, a strengthening ringgit overall. So I think it's, it's and these are policy-driven, like, like, like one Hans mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, Sinji? Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, you're back. back. Okay, passing <laughs> back to you. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I, I was able to reconnect to the space. Normally, Twitter, once you disconnect, right? The entire space just crashes, which is, is kind of sad. <laughs> but uh, today is kind of lucky. So now that we've talked about the government, uh, let's bring it to a more personal perspective. Uh, okay, uh, are there any steps that Malaysians can take to preserve their purchasing power? Or not? Because we're seeing the, the ringgit depreciate by so much. You know, a lot of people are still worried. Uh, what should we do to preserve uh, our, our our ringgit's value and uh, perhaps our bank accounts? Uh, okay, so Han, go ahead. Oh, the magic question. Another million dollar. Yeah, question, basically, actually. what's your portfolio? What's uh, your portfolio right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you know. Um, naturally, two things. One, like most of us, uh, uh, I guess most of people who listen to you will will be naturally in ringgit. I.e., they earn in ringgit, they spend in ringgit. Uh, their ringgit domicile is the best way to describe this, right? Uh, we will naturally have a skew towards holding ringgit assets. I think. Uh, ringgit aside or the, the value or depreciation or appreciation ringgit aside, everyone should have some portion of their assets 
which are not necessarily ringgit. Not not because I don't believe in Malaysia. That's not the right thing to say. It's more like you know, as a investor, we need to be diversified, right? Uh, uh, some of you have heard the phrase "don't keep everything in." in one basket I think that's something that the futurists will always say anyway which is you know make sure you have a diversified portfolio this not just includes you know having multiple stocks or multiple bonds or multiple stocks and bonds but also multiple currencies so uh, you know uh, uh, if you are truly diversified you should be thinking along uh, diversified across currencies whether it's sing dollar because it's it's close to us here down south in Singapore or whether it's kind of euro Hong Kong dollar, uh, pounds, or even US dollars, you need to have some assets which are not necessarily all in ringgit, right? Um, uh, that's the one thing to, to think about, which is, hey, look, like, um, not that I don't believe in Malaysia, I really do believe in Malaysia. I think the long term for Malaysia, you know, we have so many positive uh, uh, things to talk about, right? In terms of the, the you know, our, 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 our population is really growing, our productivity is growing, uh, we have heaps of natural resources which we can build massive industries on but as an investment portfolio right if i'm looking to defend my investment portfolio or have a solid investment portfolio one of the key tenets of that is diversification which includes a currency diversification means if i need to hold some us dollar assets some british pound assets some hong kong dollar assets some singapore dollar assets that is important part of the portfolio now what percentage depends on you depends on your risk appetite depends on your objectives but for me, it's about thinking of diversification, not just in what assets I invest in, in terms of risk return, uh, in terms of uh, uh, equity versus bonds versus crypto, that kind of stuff, but also uh, currency. So that's one thing to, 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 to focus on. Uh, and second is, how do I defend my ringgit? Make sure that you know I'm not just keeping it in a, a current account earning zero interest. Why? Because uh, you know, uh, uh, our OPR is at 3% today, that is already a natural uh, 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 depreciation of your money if you do not earn more than that, right? So ensure you keep your your liquid cash, your your emergency fund in in in, in instruments which are earning more than than the OPR at least, right? You know, and there are many cash management solutions out there uh, uh, which exceed this, and you should definitely look at doing that. So that's the kind of number one, the more macro view in terms of your portfolio. And number two, the more micro, hey, look, like your day-to-day -day cash, hey, is it, in, is it even uh, earning anything? Or not? The, ones, the ringgit that you do have, you know, are you saving it? Are you investing it in places which at least exceed uh, uh, that, that OPI rate, which, which is the baseline? Everyone should be getting this. So uh, there's so many more things you can do, right? I'm sure everyone wants me to talk about, you know, hey, uh, uh, insurance policy is, is gold or Bitcoin. Yeah, we can talk about that if needed. But for me, the, the general tenant is number one, diversify across currencies. <clears throat> and number two, if you're in ringgit, you should be earning above the OPR rate. Yeah. I mean, diversification, this strategy is definitely crucial. Okay, And uh, not keeping your money stagnant in your bank account is also one of the top ways to at least beat inflation or perhaps keep up with inflation. And there are many ways to do this, right? Nowadays, uh, money market funds, they're so easily accessible. I can just name a few on top of my head. Uh, touch and go, go plus, go invest, Versa, stash away, KDI safe, all these cash apps these days, right? And 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 uh, fixed deposits, which I haven't even mentioned, they give us a lot of options to uh, prevent ourselves from our money devaluating 
towards inflation. Okay, so we have a, a speaker up here, Faiz. Welcome to the session. Uh, I saw your profile. You are a licensed financial planner also, as well as a HRDF certified trainer. Oh, okay. So um, do you do you want to ask questions or or you want to join in the topic? We are entirely okay. Uh, I I just want to ask questions because I, I just want to throw these uh questions to uh, both of the speakers. All right. So yeah, we know uh when ringgit depreciating, then uh comes with this advice from a lot of people in the social media about converting your uh, ringgit to cryptocurrency, i.e. Bitcoin per se. So uh maybe um anyone of the speaker can share your thoughts about converting your money, but at the same time you are exposing your money for the volatility in the cryptocurrency. Thank you. Yeah, Faiz, no problem. Um, you, you can also speak in Malay. Lah. We're, all, we're all Malaysians. Uh, Mr. Sunny, although he moved to Singapore for more than 30 years already, I think he's, he, he still can speak Malay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Go ahead, Thank Mr. You. Sunny. Okay. I think we, we, we mentioned earlier on also, and I think Hans also mentioned this. If you're in, if you're in Malaysia and you're holding on to one ringgit, in theory, if the ringgit depreciates by uh, against the US dollar and such, as long as the depreciation isn't the Turkey type or isn't the Sri Lanka type of depreciation, okay. um, in theory, there could be a little bit of, of impact um, in terms of price importation of some price pressures, but I don't see a lot. Um, so, you know, um, if I'm in Malaysia, I'm holding on to ringgit and I see the ringgit depreciating against like now currently, I wouldn't be panicky enough to say like, oh, I need to protect my ringgit now because it's down by 6%. It, it doesn't basically impact me uh, from, from, from in, in my view. Lah. Um, it may cause a little bit of uh, price pressures to go up, um, but hey, um, there's other stuff domestically which is causing price pressures to go up. Um, so at the end of the day, it's not just the ringgit, it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, so I uh, and, and, and to put it into crypto and even to put it into gold itself, you then expose yourself to uh, what we call fluctuation of prices in those assets itself. I have I have a one ringgit today. Uh, let's say dollar ringgit goes up, it's 5, 6%, 7, 8, 9, 10%. I'm worried. I put it into gold. I put it into crypto. There's no saying that those two instruments will actually go up to make up for my so-called fear of, of, of ringgit losing its, its, its value against other currencies. It may actually go down. Then I got double whammy, you know. Um, so maintaining it in ringgit is, is basically, if you're domiciled in Malaysia, maintaining it in ringgit basically is probably the best thing in my view. Um, it goes back to the question of um, purchasing power. And purchasing power, of course, like I mentioned, weaker ringgit, you are in, you're going to import some inflation. Domestically, there's going to be inflation. So at the end of the day, it's a question of domestic or foreign inflation combined together. It's the total inflation. You need to actually find out how do I beat that. You can do that by investing. You can do that by trying to earn more and so on and so forth. So that, that's back to the previous question itself. But I personally won't think that uh, transferring or, or, or investing it in um, changing it, it to, to any of the other assets would actually work. Not to say those other assets are not investable assets. They are investable assets. I think those assets will do well over the long run. I have no doubt about it. What I'm saying is if you think that by you want to by, you want to protect your ringgit by putting them inside now short term in this manner, uh, I don't think so. 
Yeah, it's also a case of uh, being able to handle the volatility, right? Because crypto, the industry, Bitcoin itself is known for 10, 15% daily swings. And um, though it's up by 80 over percent on a year-to-date basis, it's still down over 50, 60% in a two to three year basis. It's still like, I think, 50, 60% down from its previous all-time high of 69,000 uh, US dollars. So uh, at the end of the day, this boils back down to your own personal risk preference, right? Uh, so Han, I think previously you mentioned in uh, a few of our sessions that having a bit of crypto, the, the, the magic number is I think 1% within your portfolio, is already enough to generally reduce the overall volatility of your portfolio while also ensuring that uh, you kind of profit from the crypto industry. So, so uh, you want to elaborate more on that point? Obviously, you put a non-financial advice cap on this first lap before we proceed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think let's just look at it objectively, lah. Right? Um, you know, there are many reasons to and not to uh, uh, expose your portfolio to to cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, or a basket of these such uh, uh, coins, right? Um, you know, there are many angles, lah. Number one angle is, hey, look, this this kind of uh, crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum are, are not are not sovereign currencies. They are they are not owned by anyone. Right, so naturally they 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 will have they will have some defense towards uh, monetary debasement of a specific currency. Right, if the pound uh, uh, has a funny uh, uh, a funny prime minister and chancellor, uh, uh, I don't want to say the names, but uh, you know uh, that happened last year where they announced some weird weird policies that really caused tremendous turmoil. Right, these kind of things don't happen with crypto. Right, they are pure. They are very pure supply demand kind of currencies where you know, it's depending on supply and demand rather than any stupid person, stupid politician deciding any specific thing, right? If you're sitting in Turkey, right, and 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 you have a you have a government which goes be you know opposed to traditional economic principles, causing your your currency to depreciate tremendously. You know, crypto doesn't have this kind of thing. So that's the first first thing that people expose their portfolio to crypto for, which is, you know, defense against this kind of stupid behavior from stupid politicians, right? So it's a good hedge from that kind of behavior. Secondly, like, I think most people, uh, when they look at, if I'm, so I'm a financial person, I look at crypto, I'm thinking, hey, look, this is a funny thing. Like, what's happening here? But if I look at it purely as an investment asset, right, I'll see an asset which is, you know, over the last five, 10 years, 50% uh, increase year on year, and, but with 50% volatility, now, that's significant returns, but significant volatility. How do I position that within, you know, a traditional portfolio, right? The key is to have a, a little bit, right? You have a little bit of a high volatility, high return asset, which translates to a, a pickup in your return with not too much, hopefully, increase in your volatility, right? Oh, sorry, that we're getting a bit technical here. And the last point, I think the most important point about crypto is that because of the nature of crypto, right, it's, it's kind of, what I say is it's no it's not owned by a specific country. It's got this cult following, it's got its own structures or its own fundamentals such as proof of stake, proof of work, uh, things that, that cause it to have value, right? Uh, which are not correlated to other investment asset classes. Means you know it's not due to a, a specific amount of liquidity in the market necessarily. It was, but it's no longer, right? Because it's uncorrelated, regardless of the reason, what I mean by uncorrelated is equity and bonds go up, crypto goes down, and vice versa. Because there's some return there and it's uncorrelated, it has a very important place in any modern portfolio, right? Uh, uh, what I mean by that is you get the returns uh, without 
too much more risk because as equity goes up, crypto may go down and, and vice versa, which means that you get your returns and, and smooth out your volatility. And a lot of modern analysis over the last kind of three to five years have realized that uh, if you're an aggressive investor, you should have you know high single-digit percent in crypto. If you're a defensive investor, conservative investor, you should have somewhere between 1% to 2%. So it's not a case of, hey, I'm conservative, I should have zero, you know. You must have some because of this negative correlation or, 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 or uh, 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 correlation effects benefiting your portfolio even if you are the most conservative investor, even someone like EPF, if they had, you know, 0.5, 1, 2% in crypto, they will have seen tremendous returns with actually less risk to their portfolio. So if I'm looking at it as a pure kind of number-driven financial investor doing this kind of analysis on portfolios, right? It's a no-brainer, right? Alongside all the good stuff around, hey, look, it's not it's not being affected by silly politicians like uh, a, a British politician doing some funny bu- mini-budget in 2022 causing pound to drop or funny politician in, in Turkey doing weird things with their central bank causing inflation to skyrocket and uh, the lira dropping like crazy or funny politicians in Sri Lanka, or funny politicians. Other than that stuff, it's just the pure asset itself causes it to be a very important point of anyone's portfolio. Yeah, very good point you mentioned over there. But now I think we are really seeing both extremes. Right? Okay, on the one side, the super conservative one, they're like, nah, I'm not going to touch crypto at all. Crypto is bad. You know, It's not the future. Meanwhile, on the other side, they are completely hard on, on crypto. They go like 100% on crypto. So... Uh, I think what Han is trying to drive across over here is that at the end of the day, there must be some sort of balance. And uh, the figure that he kind of agreed on is that if you're an aggressive investor, probably a high single digits will do. If you're conservative, uh, 1% to 2% will do. Uh, obviously, every single person's financial stance is different. It would be unfair to put a flat percentage and say, oh, this is for everyone. Uh, therefore, I have to say this again. <laughs> it's not financial advice. Don't go back home today and say that, oh, uh, Han said this, I'm going to buy a bit of Bitcoin. Yeah, so make sure you just do your own research. Uh, Faiz, hopefully we answered your question over there. I think we kind of deviated a bit, but uh, hopefully it was uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, very, very uh, good uh, insight from both of the speakers. All right, yeah, thank, thank, thank you so much, Faiz. Uh, now we will, actually we are already in the Q&A session. Let me just uh, quickly take a look at the current questions from you guys. Uh, if you guys want, want to step up, ask the questions to the speakers yourselves, uh, you may just request to be a speaker and then I'll just uh, approve you immediately. So next question uh, is from... Okay, actually, actually, this person wants to stay anonymous. Hi, Futurist. Can you please ask Sani Hamid this? Do you think the current government is heading towards the right path in improving the fundamentals? This is by implementing targeted subsidies based on data, improving governance, reducing deficit, introducing Madani economy narrative, a new industrial master plan by 2030. Will this be enough to increase the ringgit by year end? Wow, very political question. Huh? Do you want to take it, Mr. Sunny? Um, I mean, I'll take it one by one because some stuff I'm familiar with, some stuff I'm not. Okay, And I think the last part where you say will it affect the ringgit by year end, I think that in itself is a little bit, um, let's put it this way, those measures, whatever was mentioned, those are multi, multi-year measures. Okay, uh, over the short run and and between now and year end, it's actually considered to be short run. So if even if the measures were good, 
um, and I was just decipher a few of them. Um, you know, the ringgit doesn't necessarily would strengthen over this six month because again, uh, um, um, it takes a little bit of time uh, for these things to to pan out and and so on. So I think uh, if you want to evaluate these measures, evaluate over multi years rather than just say you know uh, we've introduced this six months later, it's it, it it should bear fruit and such. It's it's typically not the case. Yeah, uh, but just one by one and very quickly the targeted subsidies uh, I think is necessary um, I think Malaysia is missing out on a very big opportunity to increase its revenue because almost everything that, that it earns in terms of higher oil prices is now being used for subsidies so you know it's just it's 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 kind of um, uh, um, um, sad that an oil producing country can't, can't uh, uh, fully uh, take advantage of higher oil prices. And this was the case in many, many years ago when oil prices were 100, you know, um, uh, we had not only high subsidies, but we also uh, used up every single dollar that was earned due, uh, even though oil prices was 100. So our budget was basically maxed out. Um, yes, there was economic growth. Why? Because we spent every single ringgit or every single dollar that we earned from oil prices. But what was the actual um, repercussion of that? We didn't save a single cent. You know, and that is where it's, we, they were different from places like Norway, where they kept the 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 usage of oil revenue to maybe sixty dollars per barrel. Anything above that, you keep it one side. Singapore has a policy of keeping surpluses one side. So 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 right now, I think. Um, it's very important while oil prices are still high and oil prices will not remain here for an indefinite period of time. So while oil prices are still high, um, do something with the subsidies, create that spread between revenue and expenditure, which is the subsidies. Keep that amount one side for the future uh, or for the country's future. So I, so I do agree with the, the, the targeted subsidies. It will cause a bit of pain at the beginning, but it's a necessary thing to do. Now, what's the second one? Sorry. Uh, the second one is by improving government, reducing deficit. I think this is what we discussed earlier on, yeah. right? Those are the fundamentals. Yeah, 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 definitely. yeah, definitely. You cannot, we cannot get into a situation which the US has gotten itself into. Um, deficits after deficits will result, fiscal deficits after fiscal deficits will then result in accumulation of debt to GDP. Okay, so debt is a nominal number, but to GDP, so debt GDP will go up. It reaches a point where you will be spending a huge amount of your budget just to pay off your interest, which the US has gotten itself into now. Uh, I believe it's if it hasn't if it hasn't crossed it, it's almost going to cross it. Where the interest payment on government debt, U.S. Treasury debt, is about to surplus spending on on defense in the U.S. and defense spending in the U.S. is is big. And so you're talking about something which is going to surpass uh, defense spending. And that tells you, like any household, once maybe 30% or 40% of your income is being used to service your credit cards and such, you get into this spiral where you just cannot get out from. Okay, And, and that is the danger. So, so uh, fiscal discipline is absolutely necessary. Um, 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 the the debt ceiling in the U, in in the US, which they keep on raising, uh, I hope that that doesn't happen in in Malaysia. Yeah. So, uh, if there are any politicians in the audience or people who are close to politicians, hopefully after you can. So that, that's, that, no, no, so 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 going back to 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 this just just these two things, uh, uh, um, 
these are things which are very difficult for politicians to undertake. Because politicians typically only see to the next election, which is like four or five years later. And these measures are things which only bear fruit in sometimes 10, 15, in decades. And so it's a bit like um, um, retirement uh, uh, age. Do I, should, I re- should I raise the retirement age? It is absolutely necessary that you do so in order for, 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 for the EPF to be able to, or rather for people to build up the, the, the nest egg and such. But no government, no politician wants to do that because they know they will lose political points if you do that. Same thing with the subsidy, same thing with the, the debt and so on, the fiscal. Spend more, never mind. Let me, let me have fiscal deficits this year, next year, and the next five years. Why? Because it will allow me to give the rakyat what they want and leave the debt to the next government or leave the debt to the, the, the government that comes in 5, 10 years from now. It's not my problem anymore. So it is very difficult for politicians to take that. And I'm just, again, I, I don't cite to anybody, but I'm just saying these are measures which is difficult but needs to be taken uh, politically. Yeah, so basically, try not to be a short-term thinker, think for long-term, plan ahead, try not to get the favourites over here. So Han, you, do you want to take the same question or do you want to move on to another question? Oh, what was it? Sorry, what was this? I just wanted to know the last few. I, thought, oh, I saw one Madini thing, but the thing is, it's such a big concept. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to go into that because again, yeah. But there was something after uh, that? I think after that, it's just the, the question of whether will it strengthen the ring. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is... okay. Yeah, yeah. So you, you get all this right? Yeah. You get all this right? And uh, yeah, and I think that that would go a long way to, 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 to strengthen the ring. Yeah, yeah. So Han, um, same question, government heading in the right path, improving fundamentals, uh, targeted subsidies, etc., etc., reducing deficit, uh, introducing Madani economy narrative and new industrial master plan 2030. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Will this strengthen the ringgit? Yeah, I think um, what I said earlier still stands like, in terms of uh, if you take care of the economy, you take care of uh, uh, when I what I mean by that is you know ensure GDP growth is two three four percent higher than global economic growth. Uh, you you take care of our our budget, i.e. the fiscal deficit is controlled, definitely heading in the three percent or even lower region, right? And then you take care of you know the long term fiscal position of the country. I think they're doing that. Um, I think you know the ringgit will take care of itself. I think if we focus too much on the ringgit as an outcome rather than just a, a, a side effect of a good economic policy, I think that, that's a risk, right? Let's not focus too much on the ringgit as, as, a, as a KPI, right? We need to focus on, you know, uh, GDP, GNI, fiscal deficits as, as a KPI, and then the ringgit will take care of itself. So that's the first thing to say. Second thing to say is I think, uh, uh, you know, the, the honeymoon period for this new coalition government is, is over, although they would like it to be over only in August, September, once the the state elections are done but realistically you know it's been seven eight nine months now eight, uh, eight seven to eight months now right the honeymoon period is over there needs to be a clear economic narrative right uh just saying the word madani over and over again is not good enough right you gotta you gotta really clearly explain what madani stands for now one thing is clear, which is, hey, look, like uh, the you know imbalance in subsidies and the benefits going to certain groups of people, namely, they keep focusing on T twenties, which, again, is, is 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 a risk. But you know, they focus on hey, balancing out T twenties versus not. That's okay, 
but but that needs to come beyond just the good sound bites, right? It needs to come with clear narratives around okay, right? What are we gonna do? We're gonna focus on you know the digital economy. That's nice. I I hear that a lot. We're gonna focus on the green economy. That's good. I hear that a lot. Uh, we're gonna focus on what Malaysia is good at, namely, uh, you know, uh, uh, agro. Uh, namely, uh, petroleum and and, and 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 the supply chain around petroleum, namely, you know, uh, uh, electronics and the supply chain around electronics. Those are all good stuff, but they really need to tie in quickly and tie in together. And they, I think the government's announced they're going to do it in August. Look, like uh, as in, uh, uh, you know, they, like I said, it's probably come a little too late for my liking. But hey, look, if it's in August, better late than never. Should have done it in the first six months. Spend spend six months figuring out what's going on, and then within the six month period, uh, you know, launch your 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 economic policy for the country, right? Right. Um. And Madani as a concept, sure it makes sense. Fairness, uh, 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 prosperity, all that stuff. But you need to back it up with clear economic narratives. This is what we're going to focus on. Okay, Malaysia is good for what? We're good for. Uh, uh, petroleum, sure, and all the related industries were good as a digital native country. Why? Because great infrastructure, uh, you know, 5G is coming, that kind of stuff. We're great for agro. Why? Because we've got, you know, self-sufficiency across many industries. We're going to get higher yields per acre across XYZ, XYZ, uh, and, 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 and et cetera, et cetera, green economy, right? What are we good at, right? Tourism, we're very good at all this. So you need to really focus on Okay, hey, look, like we're gonna grow these industries by X percent over the next five years because they're gonna be the main trust of our economy, and this is how we're gonna do it, and that's what they need to do. And and areas waiting for August number one, so then these state elections can be done, right, one way or another. But also there can be that clear economic narrative. Once that's done, the ringgit will take care of itself, right. I think that's the the main thing to to say lah. Focus on the fundamental economic policies, and then the ringgit will handle itself. Yeah, which is what we have been preaching for the entire session. Uh, the government really needs to uh, buck up and make sure that they enact the right fiscal policies. Yeah, we are, we are down to our last two questions. So just a last call for anyone who want to ask any questions, send us your DMs. And uh, don't, don't be disappointed if we did not ask your question. Uh, that's because we've already covered your question uh, earlier during the session or perhaps just now. Okay, And if you missed the, any of the earlier parts during the session, fret not. This session is entirely recorded. Uh, right after I end this space, you'll be able to listen to the recording. Or if you want to listen to a fully edited, clean recording, that'll be uh, in our Spotify by the end of the week. Okay, so uh, the second last question. Let me see. Oh, this one is also to Mr. Sunny. Wow, Mr. Sunny, today you're quite famous. Huh? <laughs> uh, may I inquire on what basis you assert that the weakening ring is susceptible? It is common knowledge that our KRSC is precariously perched on its support with investors withdrawing funds on a daily basis. Kalau zaman Najib mungkin okay lah. Time KRSC at its peak, along with weakening ringgit, but now the situation is different. So I think basically it's asking uh, to what extent are you okay with the ringgit's devaluation, right? Uh, Mr. Sunny, can you hear me? Oh, I got myself on mute. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. So I'm, I'm, I'm currently um, in my current job. I'm responsible for as asset allocation and, of course, the performance of 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 um, assets that we choose, mainly mutual funds, unit trusts, and so on and so forth. 
whenever something goes down, okay, um, the first thing I ask myself is why? What what is it that caused this fund to go down? If it's invested in a regional, is a regional fund. What component of that regional fund came down? Was it just everything went down? Was it one component and so on and so? Forth? So I try to decipher and 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 get an understanding on what the what contributed the attribution basically to the losses itself. So when I look at the ringgit, the losses on the ringgit itself, I attribute a a, a portion to dollar strength, and we talk about dollar ringgit. I attribute a portion to outflows from from equities, and when I see outflows from equities, basically some people will will say, "Oh, isn't that a sign that people have lost confidence in Malaysia?" And then when you dig deeper, I can then rationalize it to say that actually it's like I mentioned earlier, it's a switching out from mainly a switching out from from Southeast Asia to North Asia, so I can then rationalize it. And I did admit that potentially part of the weakness also, portion of that weakness could be from the political, uh, political risk premium that, that investors are putting onto Malaysia, similarly in the case of, of Thailand. So when I see, or rather when I can understand why the ringgit has fallen, and I ask myself, is the strengthening dollar a problem? Well, no, it's affecting everybody else. Is the outflow from the KLCI a problem? Well, the whole region suffering from it. It seems to me, seems to me, I could be wrong. I mean, they can prove me wrong. Please go ahead. Seems to me that it's it's, it's a rebalancing uh, of of uh, fund managers' portfolio out of Southeast Asia to North Asia. Okay, and it's the political issue of ah that one maybe that one is like you know uh, no one can control it. You know, um, to a lot of chatter about bringing down the government. No investor likes to hear about that and such. Yeah. So out of all the things that's causing the ringgit to to weaken, so to say, yeah, there's this one component which I feel is 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 a bit um, um worrisome, but everything else I can explain. So that's for. I don't see and 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 when I say the ringgit weakness is acceptable, it's because I understand what's behind it. It's not just simply. Oh, ringgit has weakened, so therefore investors are all, all, all cashing out from from Malaysia. No, it's 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 not the case. You, you if you sit down and slowly break it down, then you have a better understanding of what's causing it. Mm. Yeah, Han, you want to take the same question as well. To what extent does the uh, depreciation of the ringgit, uh, you you call it a day, or perhaps you flip the table or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it has to to tie in with where we think the country is going, right? Like, you look at um, our GDP numbers, they were strong last year, they are, they are moderating this year, but still well above the global average. What I mean by that is, hey, look, what is global GDP? High twos, 3% or so. Okay, what's Malaysia's GDP? Going to be 45 5.5, somewhere in that range this year, right? Like, structurally, not too worrying, right? The, the problem is, right, like, is it in spite of our government or because of our government? At the moment, it feels more in spite of it, meaning despite all the troubles we're having politically, you know, the Malaysian economy continues to grow uh, because we are an emerging economy. You know, there are gaps that are being filled by the private sector. The the government, despite all its dysfunction, is still uh, 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 in a fiscal expansion. Therefore, you know, that's going to drive economic growth. You know, our export position is still very strong. It's weakened due to China recently, but in general, structurally, Malaysia is, uh, you know, uh, uh, open for trade, open for business countries. So all these factors lead me to think, hey, look, actually, things are not all that bad, right? We just need to solve, as, as Sunny mentioned, you know, yeah, portfolio uh, adjustments here and there will happen, you know, in a, in, in a cycle, right? A two-week, three-, four-year cycle, whatever it may be. We just need to solve our political uncertainty, 
you know, that solves, you know, a big part of uh, uh, the ringgit weakness, right? So you got US dollar strength, fine. Uh, portfolio rebalancing, as Mr. Sunny said, fine. Yeah, the, the parts where we can control, we should try and control, i.e. So let's just get past this political uncertainty one way or another and 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 and, and let our economy uh, not be on autopilot anymore. Like let's 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 go from a four to five percent growth nation to a six seven percent growth nation, and that that fixes the ringgit. If I may just jump in very quickly here, you know, um, a question someone may ask me is, so what what would make you worry if the ringgit weakened? And my my straight answer would be if I look into the balance of payment. And if I see exports coming off, and I'm not talking about commodities, I think manufacturing exports, we've all of a sudden become less competitive than our neighbours and such. And so therefore, we are losing our export competitiveness. If I look into the uh, uh, FDI side, um, and I find that FDIs are moving out, which is causing ringgit weakness, and no FDIs are coming in, which is then not supporting ringgit strength, then I'll be worried. Because these are very fundamental uh, 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 flows um, that will actually carry the ringgit over the long. So if I see that and, and, and the ringgit weakens, then I say, yes, we are in, we have an issue here. Okay? Sometimes these kind of equity flows and such, they come in this year, they go out next year. So they're a little bit more cyclical in nature rather than structural, like what the two things where I mentioned. So those things will keep me up awake at night. Currently, what I'm seeing doesn't suggest to me that this is something structural in nature. Yeah, actually, there was recently a, a report saying that Malaysia's foreign direct investment has surged in 2022. So essentially, there is really, not to say nothing to worry about, obviously the government needs to enact sound policies, but uh, if you looked at it at a holistic viewpoint, uh, Malaysia is still doing quite all right. Right, Mrs. Sunny, hopefully? For now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Malaysia, is, Malaysia is at a juncture, in my own personal view, where it has to take tough measures um, and tough policies and, and, and someone was mentioning about the uh, industrial policies and so I honestly I haven't looked into it but really uh, this is a juncture because you know you've got Vietnam Laos breathing down our necks um, and such um, so there has to be this now decision where where is our competitive advantage is it you know and when we look at to Twitter, Twitter for example people complaining about you know my salary isn't very high and yet I see a whole bunch of people saying I'm in the IT industry I'm earning 14,000 ringgit 10,000 ringgit 7,000 ringgit and such so that tells you basically is there a need or no not say is that there is this need to restructure the economy should we then now all the way from our education system to our taxes to our policies go and support a move into the IT side because that's where our competitive advantage is do we go into here do, so that needs to be done um, otherwise we will be sandwiched in between you know um, 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 in, in no man's land Neither are we cheap nor are we high value, you know. So that is the worst place to be. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I think that, that kind of wraps up our session for tonight. We've mm-hmm. been uh, going on. There was one question yeah. there, I think, on the US Treasury bills, yeah. 5% Asia. I just want to touch ahead, on that. I think there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of, it's not wrong when people talk about interest rate differential. I'm going to take it a bit general, interest rate differential. Okay, people say, oh, US interest rates are higher than, than Malaysian interest. So therefore, um, the ringgit will weaken against. It's, it's true, differentials make a difference. But I think also in the ringgit's case, we must remember two things. Number one is the ringgit is a non-tradable currency, non-internationalized currency. 
So it's not easy for foreigners actually to just say basically open up accounts outside of Malaysia um, because it is, again, like I mentioned, still basically uh, non-internationalized. So if anybody wants to play this game of switching from ringgit to US dollars outside of Malaysia, it's not easy. You'll find that it's actually much more difficult than, 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 than on paper, what paper suggests. And the second thing is the ringgit has seldom been used as what we call a carry, carry currency or the, or the carry trade has never been applied to the ringgit by and large. You'll find the rupiah and especially the, 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 the yen and of course the yen and the dollar. So the carry trade basically is I borrow in a, in a currency uh, which is of very low interest rates like the, what, what's happening now in, in Japan. Okay, So I borrow in yen, it's basically like 1%. I take the yen and I switch it over to US dollars. So I sell yen by dollars and then I go and put the dollar into a US treasury and earn my 5%, which is the question here, offering 5%. Automatically, what happens is two things. Number one, I make the spread from the um, interest rates. I borrow at, at 1% and I invest at 5 I make a 4% spread. And number two is because I borrow in yen and I sell yen, the yen weakens. And then I convert it to US and I'm holding US dollar. So when I reconvert it back again, I'm actually making money because I'm actually holding a stronger currency. So, so I make on you know, it's a double boom. I have uh, uh, interest rate spread and also I have a stronger currency. I have currency gain. So that has, that's the carry trade which a lot of people do and, and that is where interest rate differentials play a big difference. But in the case of Malaysia, Malaysia has never, Ringgit has never, not seen never, but seldom been seen as one of these carry trade currencies. Of course, there is last time, but, but these days it's, you know, um, not so much partly because of the, uh, the capital uh, rulings on, on internationalization. Yeah. So yes, there could be some argument as to the interest rate differential causing the Ringgit to weaken, but I think it's not as strong an argument uh, compared to the normal traded currencies that are out there. I just wanted to highlight that. In my, that's again my own opinion. Mm, sure, sure, Mr. Sunny. Han, you want, do you want to take the same question as uh, what Mr. Sunny answered just now uh, about US Treasury bills offering 5%-ish in return? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's the same question around, hey, look, like if you have, uh, if you have extra money, where should you put it? Should I save ringgit at 3% or US dollars at 5%? Sure, that, uh, on the face of it, sounds good, right? I get a 2% every year. Uh, but a couple of things to caution. Uh, such creative thinking, investing. Uh, number one, if you look at the long term for US dollars, uh, uh, look, 10-year treasuries, uh, high threes. 10-year uh, ringgit bonds, also high threes. So if you're a long-term investor, actually there's no differential there. Uh, and then the question, the next question is, hey, but it's okay, Han, I just change first. Short term, I get five point something first, and then when it normalizes again, I uh, switch back lah. Uh, but then you run the risk of uh, uh, trading slash speculating on US dollar rather than just, hey, I need to defend my ringgit. No, no. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm I'm taking a risk on US dollar instead of just uh, uh I'm trading or I'm 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 taking a bet rather than just uh focusing on that hedging behavior, right? So just keep that in mind. Number one. If you look at the long term for US Treasuries, it's actually high threes over a 10-year period. So 3.8 or 3.9. That's exactly the same as what Ringgit is trading at right now. So uh, not much of a differential there. And number two, if you're thinking, hey, short term, never mind. Uh, beware, right? Um, the US uh, has outright said, 
uh, you know, we're pausing here. We might increase a little bit, but then uh, we will remain uh, uh, vigilant towards uh, defending against, you know, uh, a recession or sudden disinflation or deflation. So, uh, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk around uh, how the US, because of its high indebtedness, they cannot sustain a high interest rate. So that could come down quickly, uh, eroding your gains and actually causing US dollar to depreciate versus every other country, including the ringgit. So you might end up losing. So just be a bit cautious there like, on those two fronts. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, th- th- uh, and, and if I may just jump in for one last sure. time, I promise I won't add sure, on sure, anymore. Sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. Um, the interest rate differential argument also one must also um, be aware that um, there are anomalies or, or cases a lot of cases where look Indonesia's interest rate what is it 12 13% 14 15% Turkish interest rates what are those uh, Sri Lanka interest rates Argentinian interest rates what are those I mean those are like way above the US interest rates I mean the interest rates differentials are in, are in favor of these currencies and yet why aren't these, aren't these currencies strengthening so again, one has to be careful when also using this interest rate differential argument because there are many ways to, to, to look at it also. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Sunny. Um, that really brings us to the end of our session. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this uh, two-hour session. Yeah, it's been almost two hours already. And uh, if you missed any part, uh, earlier part of this session, right after we end this Twitter space, you'll be able to listen to the raw recording, okay? So for a cleaner version of the recording, that will be posted uh, in our Spotify by the end of the week. Okay, So just to really wrap up the entire session, uh, Bank Nagara's job is not to strengthen the ringgit. Okay? It is to cushion the ringgit's volatility. Yeah? The recent intervention, Bank Nagara has announced that they will intervene. Yeah, This intervention will not strengthen the ringgit. Okay? We won't see the ringgit falling to 4.44 because of Bank Nagara's intervention. But rather, it will make this decline or perhaps the ringgit's depreciation more gradual. OPR hikes, they are meant to tame inflation and not for the ringgit. Okay, so for people who are proposing that Bank Nagara Malaysia should raise the OPR to 4 or 5%, catch up with the Federal Reserve in order to strengthen the ringgit, well, there's no need to because inflation in Malaysia has been gradually cooling. I think the last figure came in at, Han can correct me on this, 2.8%, right Han? I think it was 2.8%. Yep, yep, 2.8, and it's likely to drop to below 2.5 and close to low twos in a couple of months. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so then uh, I, I suppose that there is no specific motivation for Bank Nagara Malaysia to jack up the overnight policy rate. For the ringgit to strengthen itself and for the ringgit to regain interest from foreigners and perhaps internationally, we need to settle our political uncertainty. Yeah, the government needs to buck themselves up better fiscal policies, improve the country's growth, restructure the economy, and then after that, the ringgit strength will follow. Think long-term, not only short-term satisfaction or to be re-elected. For Malaysians, okay, so for you guys who are listening in the session today, diversification is crucial, uh, even across currencies. Okay? Even if you don't like the US dollar, Sing dollar or whatnot, okay, divers- diversification at some point of your portfolio, uh, this can actually reduce uh, the volatility within your portfolio and help you preserve your purchasing power, okay? Having exposure to the US dollar, yen, perhaps yuan also will prevent you from, not prevent you, but will kind of protect you from the ringgit's decline and obviously investing in overseas funds as well. Protect your purchasing power, investing into low-risk assets. Now, these include money market funds, fixed deposits, etc., etc. You guys kind of know the drill. There's a lot of uh, cash up 
cash apps out there these days that, that you can really register in five minutes and then deposit your money in the next 10, okay? Uh, but make sure that you have enough for an emergency. Uh. Don't just go all in and then completely don't plan for uh, rainy days, okay? On the topic of crypto, now these experts believe that owning a bit actually reduces the volatility of your portfolio while potentially boosting growth. Okay? The percentage mentioned by them is 1-2% if you are conservative or high single digits if you are an aggressive investor. Now this percentage itself is by no means final uh, because every single uh, person's financial status is different. Uh, therefore, you might want to you know, think what suits you the most. Uh, okay? So yeah, I think that really uh, uh, wraps up the session. Let me just pass the last words over to these two speakers. Mr. Sunny, any last words before we you know, end the session? Okay. Um, I think in summary, what I would say is basically uh, the, ringgit is, the ringgit has weakened. It's weakened against regional currencies, uh, especially against the dollar and such. Okay. The fact that we know what's causing it, uh, partly, if you look at dollar ringgit, it's the dollar, it's outflows of funds and stuff like that. I think there isn't too much, in my view, to worry relative to what the headlines are suggesting. Because when I see the headlines, it looks as though we are going into a crisis mode that the ringgit has fallen off a cliff um, and that we are now in a terrible, terrible situation. You know, I'm not saying that the ringgit is at a great position. I mean, of course, of course it could be better. Um, and it's weaker uh, uh, data-wise uh, compared to other uh, regional currencies, uh, but not markedly, markedly uh, different, not significantly different uh, away, weakening away from, from other regional currencies, so much so that, you know, warrants those kind of uh, uh, fear and, 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 and headlines. So I say just be measured when you see these headlines. Uh, um, don't get carried away to 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 go into a panic mode, uh, because I don't think we're there uh, to justify that kind of those kind of situations or or headlines. Mm. Yeah, def definitely far from a crisis that that you know a lot of people are panicking about. Han, last words for tonight's session. Okay, couple of last words. The first one is, um, as I said earlier, regardless of where the ring is going, keep your portfolio diversified. Right now, you we are mostly ringgit spenders, ringgit savers, so it, not overly so. So if you have 10, 20, 30% of your net worth not in ringgit, that's not a bad thing. Uh, probably not more than that. Lah. So that's one. And second is, you know, we are all here, we, we all are commentators, you know, we need to stop focusing so much on where the ringgit is going and start pressuring our politicians, pressuring our, our leaders to focus on our economy and our fiscal position, right? And, and not focus so much on, hey, fix our ringgit. No, no, no. It's fix our economy, fix our fiscal position. The ringgit will follow, right? So I think that's the... the if you leave with nothing else but that, just do that, right? Which is, hey, look, don't tell our politicians to fix the ringgit. There's nothing they can specifically do, nothing that Pangnagara can specifically do uh, beyond just day-to-day -day volatility. Tell them, pressure them to fix our economy, fix our fiscal position, and fix our narrative, right? And then the ringgit will fix itself. Yeah, that, that's the crucial part over here. Like. Make sure we plan the fiscal policies correctly and think long-term, not just short-term, okay? All right, guys, thank you guys uh, so much for joining. And do us a quick favor, okay? Head on over to both of these speakers' profile right now. 
if you haven't followed them just yet, do just press follow. It only takes two seconds, guys. From the knowledge that uh, you guys have gained tonight, I think pressing a follow button is extremely easy, right? Okay. And while you're at it, do follow us at The Futurist here. So we do sessions like this with these two speakers. Uh, we try to do it once a month, okay? And if you missed any of our previous sessions, you can head on over to our Spotify. It's right at the link tree in our profile over there. And you'll be able to see different types of topics. We talked about ASB, ASM, whether they are still good investments or not. We debated about whether the retirement age should be increased. We also talked about the recent uh, previously Sterling Powell crisis. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, so uh, do check out our Spotify and listen to our previous sessions as well. All right, guys. Good night. Stay safe. Uh, thank you so much, Han, Mr. Sunny. Bye.